Hi everyone, welcome to HashMap on Tap. I want to thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate you listening to the show today. I'm Kelly Coleffel, your HashMap on Tap host, and today I'm really glad to be joined by Carter Bradford. Carter is CTO at Solobus. They are an institutional investment management technology platform delivering their service to a range of limited partners. Uh, Carter himself has over 20 years of management and technology consulting experience across a range of industries. Carter, we are really, really pleased to have you on the show today. Welcome to the show. And to get things kicked off, what are you drinking this afternoon? Thanks, Kelly. Today I am drinking Hogarden. So I, my, my general drinks of choice is beer, bourbon, and red wine. So when I drink beer, I typically like a, a light Belgian style. So nothing too esoteric today, but uh, this is a, a good, refreshing summer beer that I'm drinking in the winter. Is it is it in that order, beer, bourbon, and red wine? Is that kind of the order of preference, or that, that's that's probably true? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I would go. You know, it's interesting you say that because uh, I would go. I would probably go wine, beer, and then bourbon after that. In fact, uh, show we just recorded, uh, we 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 uh, sipped on a bourbon during that show, and I am a total novice in that area, so definitely have some things to uh, to learn. I've got today. A free and clear lager. This one was interesting. I, I'm always trying to find something different. This one uh, apparently is crafted to remove the gluten. So I certainly oh, nice. don't need, need more gluten right now. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, legal draft. It looks like it's out of Arlington, Texas, and uh, just a little bit uh, closer to you, I think, than me, obviously. Yep. yep. And uh, yeah, up. sipping uh, pretty good so far. So I'll, I'll try to nurse that throughout the show and see how it goes. All right. Well, uh, so why don't you take a minute, Carter, and just uh, talk a little bit about your background. Always interested to hear how people got into technology. Everybody's story is a little bit different. And then your role as CTO or Chief Technology Officer at Solovis as well. Yeah, sure. So uh, a little bit about my background. So I, I have an electrical engineering degree from the University of Texas at Austin. And, and um, you know, was really super fascinated, I think, always with just technology in general, both hardware and software. And during my time at UT, I had the chance to intern at uh, Applied Research Labs, which is basically an offshoot of the, the university that does, um, does R&D, mainly for the Department of Defense. And so, so got to work on some really interesting projects there, much of which was hardware related, but I got the chance to really dig into things from the software side as well. And the interesting thing is when I, when I got ready to graduate, I told myself, you know what, I'm, 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 I'm interested in strategy. I, I want to go into consulting. I want to do business strategy. I don't want to do technology. And so when I was interviewing, I, I um, you know, I, one of the companies I interviewed with was Deloitte. And, uh, and so their, their promise was, well, you know, we, we outsource all of the technical work, right? We're yeah. kind of focused at the, you know, the high level strategy. I'm like, that, that aligns with what I want to do. That sounds good. So um, I took the job and realized within about six weeks that my technical skills were actually immensely valuable. And, like, and actually building software and working with software was what I love to do. So, you know, I, I had a really good run at Deloitte um, and then decided to leave and start my own firm. Mm -hmm. So I did that focusing on you know, custom software development, consulting um, across a variety of industries, always a heavy focus on data. So I've been doing data since since I was at Deloitte. Mm -hmm. I ran that fir firm for 13 years. I sold it in 2015 to an Alaska native corporation. And uh, kind of after after selling selling, I, I ended up running. You know, basically the company I'd sold plus we had about four others that had we had 
we had acquired in as part of the mix. I did that for um, for about uh, well, I guess about almost four years, and had a lot of interesting customers, a lot of interesting projects, um, and then I had this opportunity to join Solovis in September of 2019, and and kind of the rest is history. So um, I've been doing that since, and it's been uh, a wild ride to say the least. How did it's that is a uh, that's a pretty incredible uh, background as you go through with you know Deloitte a, a massive company and your uh, the work that you did in the research labs running your own firm what was the decision point like where you said hey I've I've done this sold it you ran this combination of firms but then uh, you didn't decide to do another thing like that what did you think about it at the time or did you say hey I really like this Solovis opportunity and that was pretty much it. Yeah, you know, I really wasn't looking to do anything else. Like, uh, you know, we were having a lot of fun at the consulting firm that I was running. Oh. Um, you know, it was it was it was high growth, lots of interesting customers and projects. But I got a a call one day from actually actually from an ex client, and I, you know, I kind of uh, internally I sort of rank my clients from the the ones that I probably don't want to work with again to the ones that you know I would work with in a heartbeat. And and yeah. this particular customer was right up there at the top of the list of folks that I just you know one of the, my favorite people that I had and had an opportunity to work with. Yeah. Um, so he'd gotten a call and said, hey, I've, I've joined this startup. Um, you know, we're kind of at that stage of growth where we really have to figure out how to scale our technology team. I just want to pick, pick your brain. Can we get together for lunch? So. And I said, yeah, sure. That sounds great. Yeah. Sounds like a great consulting opportunity. Um, so uh, met him for lunch along with the CEO of the company. You know, we started talking through ideas and sort of what the problems were. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another. And from, from a potential consulting engagement to, hey, what if you just came on as our CTO? Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, I, th I thought about it kind of long and hard. And it, it really appealed to me for a number of different reasons. You know, obviously part of it was they were very fast growing. Yeah. Um, and just kind of being in that, you know, startup pace, I, I, I don't do well when I'm sitting still, right? I like to move fast and like to see new things. And so that seemed, you know, very appealing. And they, they had just a ton of challenges related to kind of getting past like that sort of initial stage of startup success from a, from a technology organization perspective and like moving into sort of the next phase of growth. And so those were things that I, I think those types of problems, you know, and they're, they're, their people problems, their technology problems, their process problems, those sort of the, the kind of combination of all those things is something I'm really passionate about and finding a way to optimize teams and create efficiencies and create points of leverage. And I saw a you know, really interesting opportunity to, to do that. And then there was just the nature of what Solovis does, right? Mm -hmm. Which is which was also, you know, to me, really attractive. Yeah, talk, talk to me a little bit about that. For those uh, folks that are not familiar with Solovis, maybe, a little bit about uh, who Solovis is. What does Solovis do? What's the service that uh, that you guys provide? Sure. So, um, so we're a SaaS software provider, and we serve the institutional investing community. So, it was founded in in 2012 by kind of your um, typical business technical co-founder pair, kind of like the Steve's and Wozniak, uh, you know, coupling, so to speak. And and coming from an, an investment banking background, they saw a, a real gap in the institutional investing space. So, you know, if you look at, you know, our customer base, which typically they're, they're folks who are going to have portfolios probably in the, let's say, you know, 
high hundreds of millions, low low billions, all the way up to a trillion dollars. Right. So they're folks who are, who are managing large sums of money, and they're not investing, you know, typically the way that you and I might invest. Right. They're not buying mutual funds or trading individual stocks. They're doing all kinds of things that are more esoteric or or you know, require basically bigger bets or longer term bets, things like private equity and venture capital, right? Hedge funds, um, you know, com complex real estate deals. Yeah. And the challenge that they had is, is trying to have one or to have having one place where they could understand the performance of their portfolio across all of these asset yeah. classes. So the way that it would, it worked kind of pre syllabus is they would get a canned report, you know, let's say every quarter from their custodian or from, you know, the managers that they were working with, the hedge fund managers or the private equity managers. And they would have to sort of figure out how to munge all that up. Right. And it, and, you know, it really was difficult for them to, to put their own their lens on top of it and have really a timely and accurate picture of their performance. So what syllabus did was built a platform that catered to all of those asset classes gave our customers the ability to slice and dice their portfolio and the performance of their portfolio across any dimension and any time interval and to do it all in real time with you know precision accuracy um, and and so that was really novel um, in in the industry and so when you look at the types of folks that that we serve um, you know, it's in endowments. So think of, you know, well-known Ivy League universities. Many of them are our customers. Foundations, so charitable organizations, um, family offices, pension funds. And I think one of the things that sort of attracted me to Slovis is if you look at sort of the majority of our customers, like it's, when you think of sort of the investment community, there's there's maybe this perception that it's all there's you know a lot of greed involved and you know wealth is used to kind of beget more wealth, but really our customers are focused on on you know, things that are really working towards advancing social good, right? So you know, and, and university endowments are obviously looking to further education, right? Pensions are helping folks have a comfortable retirement. So when I looked at sort of the the combination of these things, right, which was it's, I, really interested in sort of the financial domain and the, the investing domain. And then you couple that with sort of the, um, the mission of some of our, of our customers. It was a really powerful combination. So that's, that's what Solovus does. Um, and go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to ask, let's go back, take me back because this is fascinating to hear the, hear the background on it. Um, when you started with Slovis, you talked about the growth pace that Slovis was on. Can you give us a sense, uh, number of employees then and now, uh, kind of revenue growth, or maybe just a percentage then and now, uh, how, how fast has that growth accelerated over the last few years? Yeah, so we've been consistently um, uh, driving at 100% year-over-year revenue growth, right? And I think Slovis, from an employee perspective, um, it growing probably at around 30 to 40 percent, you know, a year over year in headcount. So mm -hmm. it's that's a that's a difficult challenge, especially in a tight labor market, to make sure that you've got the right people to keep fueling that growth. How um, uh, what what percentage of the of Solovis's uh, developers and engineers kind of building the the SaaS platform? So our total to, out of our total staff, probably about 40 percent, or I would say, are in, in the technology the technology side okay. of things. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Now, yeah, so the, the, uh, I was just going to say like the, the kind of the, the chapter two of our story is uh, we were acquired by NASDAQ in March of 2012. 
So um, everything's 2012, March of 2020, so this year. Um, and it's, it's certainly been a very uh, a fun and interesting ride since then. Yeah, so you, you get acquired by NASDAQ, which everybody's familiar with. Uh, are you guys operating uh, somewhat independently within NASDAQ or you know, have you kind of been absorbed in? What's, uh, what, was the, what was the motivation behind that acquisition? Yeah, so we we effectively are part of a company called Evestment, which was another firm that um, Nasdaq had acquired in 2018. Um, and uh, so, if you look at what Evestment does, so there, when it relates to the institutional investing community, like their role is to provide the information that our our customers need in order to make investment decisions, right? So, you know, if I'm going to put a hundred million dollar bet on a hedge fund manager. Um, you know, I want to do a lot of research, a lot of due diligence to understand, hey, is this really something that makes sense for me? Does it match my investment goals? Do I have confidence in this manager? And investment provides a lot of those sort of pre-deal um, tools and, and data points to be able to drive those decisions. Solovas kind of comes in on the back half of that. So once once I've made my decisions, I want to be able to understand the performance uh, of those decisions and how they relate to the rest of my portfolio. So it was really kind of this, the, the, the rationale or the investment thesis is really centered around combining sort of the, the pre, the pre what we call pre-commitment phase, which investment covers, and then the post-commitment phase, which is really what Solovas specializes in. Okay. Okay. No, that's fascinating. I mean, you look at uh, when when I when I think of uh, financial services anyway, I think of a you know fairly traditional uh, industry been around for you know decades obviously, and um, a lot of traditional uh, technology platforms that are embedded in. Uh, as you've been at Solovis and and you know previous uh, work that you've done in the in the financial services space, can you talk a little bit, Carter, about any uh, just key changes I guess that you've seen? As it relates to data, obviously the cloud is coming along in the last few years. What what is changing that approach to data that is giving a company like Solovis a huge advantage for the customers uh, that they're dealing with? Yeah, I think there's probably an, a number of things that we've seen. I mean, if you if you kind of go back, let's say fifteen or twenty years, and you look at the the ability of your average person to get stock pricing information, right, and mm -hmm. on a real time basis, well, you know. 20, 30 years ago, you, you got a newspaper the next day that told you the closing price, right? But but now everybody has access to more or less you know real time, real time information. So there's a there's a sense of like democratization of data, um, you know, and that's that's obviously with some of the free sources that you get from you know like folks like Google or Yahoo Finance, um, also the Freedom of Information Act, right? That 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 requires some of these large institutional investors to kind of divulge what what they're doing, which in turn kind of uh, you know op opens up what some of the the these you know, esoteric or elite you know, fund managers are doing as well. So I think that just sort of opening up of data has been has been really critical. The other thing that I've seen that's that's really interesting is use of like non-traditional data sets or even non-financial data sets to help drive financial decisions. Um, so, so NASDAQ had, had acquired a company called Quandle um, a few years back, and that's really what they do. They look at things like um, corporate aviation data and, you know, how does that relate to, you know, certain things or certain conditions in the market, um, satellite imagery, and all these things that you wouldn't necessarily think that if, if I'm an investor that I'm necessarily going to be you know, interested in, um, but they actually prove valuable, especially when your your role as a, as a 
fund manager, let's say, is to do the best you can to outperform the market. So any data that you can you can um, have at your fingertips that gives you a competitive advantage is going to be is going to be extremely valuable. Yeah, um, the, the, those are uh, yeah, no interesting insights. I think that you know when I look at and, and consider, um, I get, let me ask this: Is there any hesitation around? moving data sets like you just described. You know, you've got this democratization of data. You've got tons of different data sets that are going to provide value. Can I move that? Do you feel like the financial services industry is is ready and willing to move that to the public cloud? What's the view on that? Yeah, I think absolutely. Um, I, I think it's almost... Um, almost ubiquitous at this point, yeah. right? There's, there's, there's been a, a general shift, I think, in the notion of, of security, right? That, that, you know, perhaps the, the financial services companies themselves might not be as good at security as, you know, the, the public cloud providers who, whose business completely relies on their ability to have secure platform. And, and just sort of the shift from this notion of like security is all about like the, the hard shell soft center, right? So you, you build a moat and, and you know, folks got past the moat, then you know, you're in real trouble. Well, now we sort of reason about security from a completely different perspective, right? It's zero trust from, from top to bottom, you know, front to back and um, making sure that, that you know, every, every single point um, in the entire infrastructure is, is secure. Um, that's, I think those just general shifts in, in ideology from a security standpoint have helped drive adoption. And that and just the, the value of being able to, to take advantage of managed services that alleviate some of the, the operational burden associated with running your own infrastructure. Yeah, I would 100% agree. I think that you've got, um, if I can get you know contextual, meaningful, trusted, usable, accessible data, regardless of where it resides, I, I think you hit you hit it right on the head when you said that. You know, really, nobody's probably going to do that better than the big public cloud guys. I mean, they're going to take care of uh, security, privacy, accessibility better than any of us could do on our own. So uh, I would agree. I think that's really um, revolutionized the approach to uh, to data for sure, not only in financial services, but other traditional industries as well. When we when we talk about the cloud, what are, talk to me a little bit about what you guys are doing specifically at Solovis. What did a cloud-based approach or maybe a cloud-first approach, if I can take a little bit of liberty there, what was that, uh, how meaningful was that to you? What did that really offer you from a Solovis perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's been a key component of Slovis' strategy from the very beginning. So we are we were maybe one of the the uh, lucky few, I guess, that you, you'd say we we were we were cloud native, right? We were born in the cloud. We've we've really only ever existed or operated in the cloud, and that's really true across the board from our, our the the infrastructure that underlies our our application itself to you know all of our our corporate infrastructure and 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 the applications that we use on that side. Um, you know, the advantage was it, it really allowed us to be nimble, to to try certain things, to experiment without large, uh, you know, capital investment, um, to to be able to operate with a small staff as we were scaling, right, reducing the need to, you know, operate large amounts of, of hardware. Um, so it's been it's been super critical, and I think our our general strategy is we 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 leverage managed services whenever we can, and um, that helps us keep the operational burden low and, and take advantage of the, the shared responsibility of um, that the cloud providers offer as part of that. Um, gives us automated scaling, gives us the ability to ensure our data is, is stored redundantly without really even giving it a second thought. 
Um, you know, it's it's a lot of, I think, to be very cost effective as we scale. So we take advantage of serverless technology. We we use, you know, ephemeral infrastructure. So we spin things up when we need it and we spin it down when we're done. Um, and, you know, concepts like separation of storage and compute, whereas, you know, before, like in the old, the quote unquote old days of data warehousing, right, you had to, you know, you wanted to scale your data warehouse. It was just buying, you know, bigger server, which meant bigger, bigger hard drives, bigger processors now. You know, I can keep those things completely separate and 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 optimize based on where I have need. So all those things have been really important, I think, as we as we scale out and continue to leverage the cloud resources. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that the ability to really take a fit for purpose based approach around matching an application, matching a, an outcome that you're looking for to a particular architectural approach in the cloud. You've got so many choices out there, regardless of what public cloud that you're on. Um, we, as you said, we just didn't have that, uh, you know, even three, four or five years ago, it was, uh, you know, here's a couple of things. You're going to have to do one of these now. Yeah. The de maybe the upfront design you want to think about a little bit more because I always want to optimize that. What is that SLA I'm going to deliver versus that cost basis that I'm after. Right. And I may right. want to increase the cost. I may want to increase the S it just depends on, on what I'm looking to do. And I, I love that the flexibility and that range of, of options that I've got in the cloud, uh, which, which is uh, just incredible today. Um, so you guys, uh, I know, um, worked on a, I, I would, I guess I'd call it a new approach to, I, I think about, I think about data and I think about acquiring it, transforming it, persisting it, consuming it, probably putting some automation around it. You guys uh, did a little bit of a revamp uh, on that uh, here recently. Uh, can you talk a little bit, Carter, about what drove that change and, and what are you guys using to really make that type of solution work? And how far did you go down this, this notion of a modern data stack? Yeah, sure. So, so a couple of things I think that were driving it. So, you know, Solovis as a company, I think as a technical culture, we've got some fantastic engineers, right? And, and a, a lot of those, those engineers are really folks on what I call them being true software engineers. And I think, you know, as, as the importance of data has evolved over time, um, this notion of a specialized data engineering skills, right? And applying technology in a slightly different way, maybe with slightly different thought processes or slightly different tools and technology to suit the use case becomes really, really important, right? And certainly advent, it's an advantageous tool to have in your, in your toolbox. And so when I looked at what we had in place, it was really a solution that was focused on what I call software engineering principles, right? Which didn't necessarily always lend themselves to being super effective when it comes to data focused use cases. Um, you know, that coupled with sort of the business climate and the business context is that you know, we've always been a software company, but increasingly we are becoming a data company, or at least to a certain extent we're becoming a data company as we, you know, it's, it's, we've always provided analytics and insights on top of our customers' data, but really the need is becoming greater and greater to do more and more with that data. And so making sure we have the right platform in place to fuel those. Um, and so we, we decided to kind of start from the ground up. We had a few key use cases that were really driving the need to, to scale, um, you know, that we're going to increase the amount of, of data that we have just kind of really, you know, almost exponentially increase data volumes throughout our ecosystem. Um, the other thing is we were built really, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the, of the podcast that we were, we were built to provide real-time analytics. 
Well, there's certain things if we want to really get into optimizing performance and we want to really get into some of these sophisticated calculations, they're not really meant to be done real time. So we, we wanted to build um, a, a batch um, like an offline calculation infrastructure so we could do some of these analytics you know, in, in, um, in an offline mode as opposed to trying to force everything into the application. Um, you know, and, and lastly, I'd say we wanted to make sure that we had the best pathways possible to onboard our customers' data into our platform. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like we, you know, our software isn't useful if we don't have good, clean, accurate data to power it, right? And that's, that data comes from um, our customers' custodial feeds, right? It comes from potentially manager statements. So we wanted to make sure that we ease the burden of getting that data into our platform so that uh, it it makes implementation of our software that much easier, that much faster, and ultimately speeds the time from zero to insights. Yeah, now that's uh, that is a great approach. I think that you know, as I was listening, you talked about this notion of going from Solovis going from a software company to a data company. Immediately, what popped in my mind was Microsoft. Always thought of them as a software company company and then they, they make this massive acquisition of uh, LinkedIn, right? Which is 100% mm -hmm. data. And I hear you saying the same kind of things that, that and, and the other thing too, you talked about software engineering and the need also for this data engineering side of things. And uh, talk to me a little bit earlier, you mentioned about uh, really trying to get out of the infrastructure business, trying to go more managed services, maybe more SaaS services for the solutions that you guys use internally around your uh, operations, but also the services that you're delivering to clients. Uh, anything that stands out or, or what was that stack that you, you guys ended up with? Yeah, sure. So, so we wanted to, again, really focus on things that I think were what we considered best in class, one that reduced the time to market, right, accelerated delivery. Um, and I think you really leveraged the, the tools which are very much data engineering focused. So if you kind of look at what we did, it's, I would say, one, it's not horribly unique, right, from a, from a data engineering pipeline perspective. Um, and, and, and I'm actually proud to say that I don't think it's horribly complex. Um, you know, some of the calculations we, we do, but one of the things that we were able, or one of our explicit design goals as we move from our old platform to this one was to keep it as simple as possible, right? And that's sort of a, I think a, a, a sort of core tenant or principle of mine. So what we did, we, we use Fivetran as a, as a means to source data into our environment. So that's, um, you know, over SFTP um, integration with uh, cloud object storage, read whatever mechanism makes the most sense there. Um, that obviously goes directly into Snowflake, which is sort of the crux of what um, what we're using for a um, for our data store. And then we use DBT as a as a mechanism to transform that data and really use sort of the the ELT approach of making sure we can harness all the power in Snowflake, keep keep the the compute close to the data as it moves from raw form into you know ready to consume format. Um, and then for us, so most of our, our infrastructure is written in, in C Sharp. Um, so we, were, we, are, we are mostly a .NET stack. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we when we need to integrate directly with um, our, our APIs, we, we use um, container-based solutions in Azure that, uh, that sort of perform what I call the last mile and take things out of Snowflake and put them into the right spots um, if, if there's a need to move the data. Have you, overall, when you go to this, type of model, which I'm, I'm a huge fan of, by the way, um, 
everybody gets a little concerned over, okay, I'm going to, I'm going into this consumption based model. I'm not quite sure exactly what this is going to cost me per month. Uh, and everybody has a little, little bit of fear over that. Have you guys been pleased with the cost basis that you're operating around right now on this consumption based model for solutions like Fivetran and Snowflake? If not, where have the challenges been or has it been a pleasant surprise for you overall? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been, I think there's, there's good and bad. I will say like from a, from a cost perspective, I think we are, we are really close to where we expected okay. to be. The, um, uh, you know, the challenge is it's a little bit harder to get to a, a point where you can accurately forecast. But I think in general, that's true of anything in the cloud, right? It's being, being good stewards of your cloud resources requires a different mindset in terms of, of understanding what are the cost levers, right? How can I accurately forecast? How can I create models to understand what my consumption is going to look like? And the way that we, we, we sol well, I say solved it, and the way we're trying to solve it internally, sort of, I think it's, it's working so far and hopefully will continue to work, is we've, we've really forced knowledge of the infrastructure layer down throughout all portions of the organization. Right? So we don't have a specialized group that deals with infrastructure and then developers who just write code. Um, our product teams, which are very much you know, vertically structured teams, kind of with all the requisite skill sets required to produce that product, they're required to create, create their own forecasts. So they have to understand their infrastructure, right? They, they provision their own infrastructure um, and, and they, they need to understand the cost models um, behind it. And so holding them accountable for that piece of it really I think helps drive a good understanding and better forecasting and management of the overall you know, cloud and service provider cost consumption. Matt, I love that approach. You talked about the vertically structured teams. And I think that for any companies that uh, regardless of size and aren't taking advantage of at least starting down that path um, and ensuring that, you know, everything from, you know, acquisition to provisioning to consumption to automation, uh, that there's a pretty good knowledge base being built at an individual level and you're not dependent on one person at you know, one of those levels is a great, great approach. I love that. What, um, any, uh, any surprises, I guess, what, uh, any, anything as you were, you know, acqu either acquiring data or consuming data, anything that, uh, I don't know, maybe just filled in a gap that you didn't know that you had, or maybe it was a, a, a customer, uh, win that you got along the way, anything that, that stands out there as it relates to that particular tech stack, which I consider for what you guys are using, Fivetran, DBT, Snowflake, kind of the, the perfect trifecta there in terms of a modern data stack, because you're, you're, uh, you're leveraging for the most part SaaS-based or open source solutions. Uh, you've, you're taking the infrastructure out of the equation. Like you said, uh, you've, you've got a, a very fast, simple approach to getting things done that's about as fully automated and as fully managed as you can get. Any, any surprises that came out of that approach? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if we necessarily had any surprises. I mean, obviously it's allowed us, I think, to do things and, and move very quickly. Oh. Um, and, uh, I think the, maybe the, the biggest surprise to me was or, or, that I was very pleased to see is how quickly like, our team got spun up on the cool. stack in general and moved from a mindset of, you know, uh, you know, C sharps, my, my hammer and everything's a nail, right. To, Hey, there's really a lot of power to be to be leveraged from the database. And so we've, we've done things like, you know, there's a, a common calculation in, 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 you know, in our world, I think time weighted returns. And like when, when I showed the team, Hey, you can actually 
perform this calculation directly in SQL. You don't have to pull all the data out and and you know and munge it in C sharp. I think those kind of things have been really really great um, learning opportunities for for the staff to really round out their skills and I think get to do some things that you know had we not gone down this path they wouldn't have had an opportunity to do. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, and if you can do something in SQL at a, at a relatively modest cost or very low cost, you can do it very fast. You can spin that up when you need to and not have to move data at all. That could be really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let me ask this. Anything that you see, let's you know, take a step ahead, maybe over the next 12 months, um, anything in the future that uh, you've got your eye on as it relates to, okay, I've got this I've got this modern data stack in place. I'm doing some really interesting things for my clients as it relates to data. You talked about the shift from software engineering uh, to being a data company. Um, what's what's next on the horizon for you guys as you continue to move? Yeah, I think we've got some really interesting use cases um, coming up. I mean, we want to definitely continue to, to expand on the insights that we, we generate from the data that we have. Um, one of the key things that we're working on is if you if you look at um, you know, uh, certain types of investments that our customers make. So let's take private equity as an example. Um, the way that that performance typically gets reported, so your private equity manager will send you a statement um, at the uh, at the end of the quarter. That's usually well, it's all, not usually. It is almost exclusively a PDF document. Mm. Um, could be ten pages, could be three hundred, um, and wildly different formats amongst managers, um, somewhere in those 10 to 300 pages, there's a table of data that we need. And so if you look at how that that has been done in the past, you get humans to dig through there and extract the data. So we're working on some really cool techniques and platforms that automate the extraction of that data um, using using machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, and sort of very advanced heuristics. To um, to really eliminate uh, the bulk of the the labor, which gives us a, a huge amount of scalability and gives our customers a, a massive cost advantage. So that's one thing we're working on, um, and just various other sort of things around portfolio optimization, um, more sophisticated risk modeling. Um, we do some things around synthetic proxies. So a lot of times, if you're invested in a hedge fund, like they don't want to tell you exactly what's in the fund, right? Because that's their secret sauce. Um, and so, but if you want to, you know, understand your ex- the exposure of your platform. So you know, how much of my platform is in Asia versus North America? Then you try to extrapolate on the the data that they do give you, right? And and um, apply that across report, you know, your mm-hmm. your investment, your portfolio. So be able to create these synthetic proxies that sort of mimic the the underlying detail of these non-transparent vehicles um, is also something that's on the list. So we got a lot of really cool things, I think, that we've, we're working on from a data perspective. That sounds fantastic. I, I would bet, too, that with all those interesting projects, you guys are probably having a pretty, uh, I don't want to say easy time, because it's always tough uh, when you're recruiting and bringing new people in. But uh, I mean, that's got to be interesting for somebody that says, I want to work on the, the latest technology stack on some really, really cutting edge applications in the FinServe space. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's it's. Um, I think we've got a great team. I think we've got a, a really we've got good a good technology stack. Uh, we've got interesting vision, and certainly now we've got the backing of Nasdaq, who really sees us yeah. as you know one of their primary components of growth. So it's, there's a lot of um, a lot of ingredients there. I think that make for a really cool opportunity. 
Yeah. What a, uh, I was going to get to this later on, but since we're on it, let me ask what, when you're looking at maybe adding to your team or the engineering team is looking to add to, uh, to their team, what makes up that ideal hire? Where, where do you go? This is the perfect person for Slovis. Yeah. One of the things that, that I think is, is separates the folks who do really, really well um, in, in our environment is an interest in the domain and really wanting to dig in and learn about, you know, institutional investing, right? And that, that of course, not only helps them understand what they're building better, but it also creates a sense of empathy with the customer. And so that's, that's somebody that has, I don't want to say has a passion for it per se, but is very interested in learning more and becoming, you know, to some, to some extent, an expert in, in, in the domain. Um, and obviously to do that, you kind of have to like math. Um, you know, I, I, I usually tell folks when, when, you know, we're interviewing that, you know, it's not, it's not super advanced math. You know, if you can mm-hmm. get through your first, first year college calculus, you'll be fine. But, but, but enjoying math and calculations and that kind of thing is certainly, I think, a big plus. Um, you know, passionate about technology is a big one for me, you know, just really being interested in learning more, wanting to stay in tune with what the trends are, um, you know, just, just really want to consume and, and continue to grow and build expertise in your craft is key. And that's sort of mm-hmm. the curiosity behind the scenes that drives that or, or, you know, just, I think personality attributes that tend to be, tend to be a good fit for our team. Yeah. And then, you know, the last one is, this is a big one for me, and my team probably gets sick of hearing me say this all the time, but not being afraid to be an owner, right? So, you know, you, you know, we're not, we're not an organization that's, that's built around the concept of asking for permission. It's like, if, if you see something needs to get done, figure out a solution, right? And it's, you you might want to socialize your solution, but, you know, you, you, everybody is empowered to make progress, right? As long as, you know, risk is appropriately managed, then, then take ownership and just get things done. You know, there's no 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 need for micromanagement or or you know kind of um, large committee based decisions. Um, we're really more interested in results than we are anything else. Yeah, I really like that. It it's, uh, sounds like an incredible culture to work at and uh, company to work for. Hey, quick break. How is your beer doing? Enjoying it. Well, yeah, it's very. Uh, it's definitely one of my favorites. So. Yeah, yeah. Mine is uh, mine is hanging in there as well. Getting close to. Uh, to uh, needing another at this point. Um, all right, so switching gears just a little bit, as CTO, you've got um, obviously a lot of responsibility for technology directions and really setting up the vision for uh, for the company. Any, uh, any tips, tricks, uh, thoughts, ideas about what you do to help ensure that everybody at Solovis knows where you're going from a technology perspective? What, do you, what, are, your, what are your go-tos, I guess, Carter? Yeah, so I think that when, when I mentioned some of the challenges um, that were presented kind of before I started, one of them was that the technology team felt like they weren't necessarily in the loop. So, so really, I try to do you know two things. One is is whatever visibility I have in terms of like the overall strategy of the business um, and where we're headed there, I want to make sure that that my team across the board has a good understanding of that. So that's, if we if we want a big deal, I want them to know we want a big deal, right? Um, and, um, you know, if, if we've got a particular business focus or there's a, you know, a strategic element that we can share, I want to make sure they know that. And so that just sort of sets the context. And then from there, it's making sure everybody is, is keenly aware of our product roadmap across the board and how things depend on each other. Um, and so we all kind of are singing from the same hymn book, so to speak, in terms of knowing our priorities and what we want to get accomplished. Um, 
and so the, the you know there's various ways to do that one of the the ways that i i, I think works best is you know I hold a a, a bi-weekly town hall yeah. um where we just go over kind of the latest and greatest and make sure you know from the entire staff everybody's everybody's in the loop as to what's going on and what's important is that for um, all all of Solovus or for the technology team that's just for the tech team we okay. do we do the same thing for the entire company too um uh we call them it's a, a coffee house chat and i think it's every other monday um and so so you know it's especially as we move to remote working it's like how do we ensure that folks don't feel disconnected from the company or from from our culture is the let me ask um, you on the on the coffee house chat is it a is it sounds like it's more informal it's not necessarily slides that are being presented it's just whatever's on anybody's mind or what what's the format yeah, it's 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 very informal. It's like you know, usually, um, like from a leadership perspective, if if you know if, if any of us have anything to kind of to to convey to the rest of the team, it's an opportunity to do it. But it's it's definitely not you know death by PowerPoint or anything like that. It's really it is truly just kind of a an open discussion. Okay, cool. And they're usually short. I mean, it's usually 15, 20 minutes tops. Yeah. Very nice. Anything else that uh, that stands out in terms of just keeping everyone in the loop and uh, keeping that learning process moving? Yeah, so we do um, we do regular lunch and learns every week. So every Friday, um, you know, usually somebody signs up to present on a topic, and it really could be anything. You know, we've had folks present on, on domain-driven design, folks present mm -hmm. on Snowflake, just anything you can imagine from a technical perspective. Um, and then, you know, I'm also known for I post a ton of links in our Microsoft Teams channels. So yeah. um, uh, just if anything that I find interesting, either, you know, art, an article about a concept or, you know, a new open source project or product or whatnot, um, I, um, I'm notorious for, for sharing a lot of links. I love it. I love it. I, I really like that idea too on the, the, you called it the coffee house chats. I think that's a great idea, especially again, as everybody is, or most everybody is remote right now, just keeping, uh, keeping connected across, whether it be an organization, a business unit or the, or the whole company, uh, really a, a great idea. Love it. Um, all right. What about, uh, we've talked about uh, quite a few technologies and approaches, different things you guys have going on. Um, you have, my guess is you've probably got a few things, though, that maybe you've got your eye on, you've got on the horizon technology-wise that uh, either you're, you've got in the labs or really maybe haven't even explored fully yet. Anything you'd like to discuss today in that regard? Yeah, we've got a few things that we're looking into. So one of our big initiatives next year is, is around um, uh scalability of, of our platform and making sure that as as we continue to get customers who have larger and larger portfolios that we can continue to offer optimal performance. So part of that is exploring um, some concepts around replatforming. Uh, so um, Kubernetes has been, I think, a, a topic on on many folks' mind, I think, over the past year. And I'm not one to, to do something just because it's a trend, and I want to make sure that it's the right fit. But I think we, we've done some analysis around it, under, and I think we're starting to get our heads around the potential benefits. So that's something that we're definitely looking into, mm -hmm. um, which will be a fun, I think, a, a fun and meaty topic to explore. <laughs> um, I mentioned some of the AI around document extraction. That's going to continue to be a huge focus for us in the next year. In, any particular 
technologies that uh, that you're using? Maybe are they uh, cloud services or anything that that stand out in that document extraction side of things? Is yeah, it's know? funny because we've we've tried all of them. Um, I think at some point. So, um, you know, we've 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 tried Azure's, we've tried Google's, we've tried AWS, um, yeah. and and so the one that we're we're heavily using right now is AWS Textract, which, mm-hmm. you know, is 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 interesting for us because we are primarily an Azure shop, um, but uh, that is uh, that's the the one that we found best suits our needs, um, at least at the moment. But, you know, like everything else, nobody's sitting still. And uh, we'll continue to probably keep our eye on everything. Yeah, no, very good. Very good. Anything that you personally do to kind of keep, you know, you're sounds like you're sending out a ton of links and everything. You must be reading a ton and and just, uh, you know, really doing a lot of research. Anything you do personally as a, as a special uh, thing that keeps you up to date? Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I read a ton, right? And yeah. I, I tell, tell my folks, like, um, you know, it's and it's not just technology, right? It's really reading anything. I think, you know, the, the more you kind of consume, the better chance you have of connecting dots in unique ways. Um, and uh, so, so, yeah, I'm constantly reading. I, you know, read everything from, you know, Hacker News to the Wall Street Journal to, you know, you name it, right? Um, it's it's um, uh, it, definitely a, a passion of mine. Um, and so that's that's part of it. I think the other part is is you know I I don't get as much of an opportunity as I, I probably would like to to be hands on, um, you know. And so when but but actually finding time to tinker when I can and 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 still build things and get get my hands dirty, it just helps me provide you know perspective on things yeah. and make sure that you know I'm not I'm not just regurgitating something that I saw because it looked interesting, but hey, I've actually kind of poked around a bit and hey, here's what I've seen that might actually be beneficial. We should take a look at it. Yeah, I just, I don't think you can lose sight of the the value of being a practitioner in uh, in these technologies that we're all working with today. And the mm-hmm. more you can do that, absolutely the better off uh, that you're going to be. Uh, hey, let me let me shift over a little bit. When you look at um, your role at Solovis, what you've done in the CTO role so far, uh, Compare and contrast. What's been the thing you've been most proud of to date, and what's been the biggest challenge or the toughest thing that you've had to do so far? Yeah. So the thing that I think I'm most proud of is so when I came to Slovis, we had really one primary product um, you know, that was our, our main revenue driver, um, and then another one that was kind of trying to get out the gate. Um, so you know, within the time span of a little over a year, we've launched five new ones, um, and so. You know, when that was a that was a, a a pretty a pretty tough ask, but you know, I'm really proud of the fact and that that I'm really proud of the team, really more than anything, that um, that they've been able to uh, been able to do that in, in really such a short time span, and and with a lot of other external factors, and you know, I think it's it's certainly a, a testament to you know our team internally and you know external partners that we've leveraged leveraged you guys being one of them, of course, um, to get there. Are, are those have those been Carter uh, individual product and engineering teams, or has it been one product and engineering team that's just cranked out five products throughout the year? No, we we organize by product, so right. it's basically you know for all practical purposes, it's a a you know team per product. Yep. And that was one of the things actually one of the things that I changed when when I came on board, where it was it was really just everybody was context switching you know, a mm-hmm. hundred times a day. And I really wanted folks to develop deep expertise in a particular code base. And so we shifted to that model. And I think that really helped accelerate some of the, the delivery of, of these products. Well, it's really cool too, because now you've, you went from one, now you've got, I guess, six, and you've also got some 
probably pretty nice career path growth. If somebody wants to say, hey, I'm, I'm in product one today, uh, let me let me have an opportunity. I think I could do some really cool stuff in product two, three or four. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen that, you know, kind of in the data engineering realm where folks sort of have been interested in moving from you know, developing you know, your traditional web applications to, hey, I want to actually build data pipelines. And so, you know, we, we obviously have that opportunity now and and or going from, you know, this has been sort of a what we call um, ex post analytics. So looking kind of today from today backwards versus now I've got, we've had some applications that are really looking ex ante. So I'm looking from today forwards. Mm -hmm. And so those are require slightly different modes of thinking. I think so folks have had an opportunity to explore new models, new types of logic that, um, that they wouldn't have had in the past. Yeah, absolutely. What about uh, that toughest thing that you've had to do since you've been at Slovis? Yeah. So that's, that's probably, we, so I mentioned we were acquired by NASDAQ. Mm -hmm. I think we, in, in March, so we were, we, we closed on a I think Friday, uh, Friday. We announced to our staff on Monday morning and literally that next Tuesday is when COVID went bananas. Uh, and so we, we literally went from, Hey, we, you know, we were mostly at work from the office culture, right? We did, we had some remote staff, but, but in general, most of our folks were either in Dallas or in our Charlottesville office overnight to, you know, work from home. And Oh, by the way, we're now part of this big organization. And, um, you know, who I, I remember like the, the day we announced, I, I got, I got a call from, and from the folks at NASDAQ saying, all right, we got a laundry list of things to do, right? <laughs> and so let, let, let the integration games begin. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, getting through all that, I think, you know, and uh, again, I'm super proud of the team, the way we were able to almost on the fly, just adapt to remote work. Not only that, but the way that, that uh, you know, the team put all of this additional work on their plate, which related to the NASDAQ acquisition, in addition to getting all these products launched. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, you know, to say it was, you know, uh, to say it was challenging was probably an understatement, but, you know, we, we certainly, I think, did a really great job and or the team did a really great job. And that's, uh, while it was tough, I'm, I, I think it's, it's definitely something I can look back on and say, you know, that's, that's, that was a great accomplishment. Has, has it, opened up the this remote work and you guys you said you were predominantly work in the office with a few remote but has it opened up your ability to hire are you are you still are you constrained at all by having to hire in a region or for a particular potential office in the future or are you pretty much able to hire wherever you want to now knowing that remote could continue for the foreseeable yeah i mean it's i'd say we're kind of somewhere in between i mean okay. we certainly one of the things that we're we we've we're not doing is we're not constraining any of our positions to location. Um, and, and so, you know, that's, and that's for, for a number of different reasons, but primarily, obviously we want to open up the talent pool. Yeah. Um, it's a big shift though. When you, when you talk about being you know, just in March, predominantly in office in a particular city or cities, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and it's, it's a complex issue, right? Because it's, it's, you, 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 as we're sort of exploring, expanding the team and not necessarily pinning folks down to one location, we have, you know, internal team members that are wondering, can I have, can I move somewhere else? Right. Yeah. Can I, can I work remotely? And I think, so we're sort of in those waters now of really trying to kind of determine what our policy is and, you know, mm -hmm. what we want to do longer term. And, you know, I think, um, you know, luck, luckily we have a, a really supportive organization from the NASDAQ perspective and, um, you know, we'll, we'll, 
whatever we do, I'm sure it'll it'll be a, a, a situation that works for the vast the vast bulk of our employees and whomever you know chooses to join us uh, in in the next several months. Yeah. Hey, you've for those of us that have never been a CTO, uh, it sounds like you've got a fascinating role. Can you give us just a glimpse into what your normal or semi-normal day in the life of is like as CTO at Solovis? What do you What are you doing all day long? I'm on a lot of Zoom calls. Zoom calls or Teams calls, one of the two. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm on a lot of those. Yeah, either you know, obviously with with you know elements of our business, with folks on the technology team, with customers or potential customers. Um, you know, spend spend a lot of time in meetings, probably more than I would like, but I guess just part of the territory. Um, you know, I, I like to say that sometimes my job feels like I'm an air traffic controller. So. One of the things that, as I've you know been been fortunate enough to kind of gain more responsibilities for my career, you, you ideally like as as you as you advance the when problems get to you they become tougher and tougher right because ideally the folks the folks uh, that uh, that are, are helping you have have solved the easy ones and so a lot of times you know I'm just trying to kind of pull strings pull levers here and there mm -hmm. to make sure that we keep making forward progress. Um, another, you know, a key thing that I do that I, I spend a significant amount of time on, I'd say, you know, at least a third of my time is ensuring that my team is growing. And my, I had um, a boss that uh, that told me, hey, if, if if your team isn't growing, you're failing, right? And and so really trying to explicitly put focus on, you know, making sure that I'm giving them the space. The autonomy and you know the the kind of just basic guidance to to be successful and grow in their career is is really super important to me. Um, I obviously spend a lot of time on or some amount of time on tech oversight, just kind of making sure that what folks are doing aligns with their overall technical vision. Um, you know, if I if I were to lose the technical aspect of my role, I probably wouldn't be very happy. I you know, I will always be an engineer, um, and I'll you know always be uh, you know interested in technology. So that's a that's a key you know, component of what I do. And then there's just the general operational stuff. So we're at the end of the year. So budgeting is definitely on top of mind. So spend, you know, time making sure that we've got uh, the right money in place to accomplish whatever initiatives that uh, that we have on the table. Yeah. Are you are you uh, today operating pretty autonomously within NASDAQ or you have some uh, key NASDAQ uh, stakeholders that you're also keeping in the loop on what's going on, what the direction is, those types of things? I mean, so we we do operate fairly autonomously, um, but there's definitely a governance structure in place sure. so that folks know what we're doing. And, and obviously, being kind of part of the investment family, we want to make sure that strategically we're aligned and we're, we're sort of, because we do have common customers and probably would like to have more common customers in the future, that um, that we've, we, we're sort of pointed in the same direction there and take advantage of, of whatever overlap makes sense. So, you know, I, I would say, in general, like I, you know, I don't feel like I have to ask permission to do things that I feel are in the best interests of of Solovis from a technology perspective. Um, but certainly, want to make sure everybody stays abreast of where we're headed and, and how we're thinking. Okay. Okay. No, that's great. Hey, anything as we uh, kind of bring it home here? Anything that you would like the HashMap on Tap audience to know or be aware of? Anything you want to give visibility to that you haven't mentioned already? Um. Just that we're hiring, <laughs> so <laughs> Love I'm, I'm, I'm I'm looking for data engineers. I'm looking for a director of data engineering. I've got soft, senior software engineering positions, a senior DevOps position. So, can, yeah. Can, if, if, can if, we uh, link you? Up? Can we put your LinkedIn profile on uh, the show notes and uh, have people reach out? Absolutely, reach Beautiful. out and just uh, ref reference this pot the podcast and um, 
that that would be fantastic. You looking for all you know, are junior, mid, senior? Is it all any and all of the above? All of the above. Okay. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, uh, are you up for Carter a lightning round before we uh, end things here? Let's let's do it. All right, good. All right, morning or night person? Uh, most definitely morning. Morning. How early? Give me an idea. How early? What's early? Uh, you know, it's so these days between five and five thirty. I, I used to get up much earlier, but uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so favorite uh, social network? Oh goodness. Um, probably LinkedIn. I don't really use much, many of the other ones. I, I, I used right to use Twitter, but they, they locked my account and, and uh, for <laughs> some reason or another, and I couldn't get them to unlock it. So yeah. LinkedIn it is. Yeah, LinkedIn is solid. Yeah. Uh, with everybody staying at home, do you have you and your family have a favorite uh, cook at home meal that you're that you're go to? Oh goodness, that depends on who's cooking. Um, if it's me, it's going to be something simple. I can cook eggs. That's about it. Yeah. Um, my my uh, uh, my family in general likes Mexican food, so yeah. we we yeah. tacos or things of that that nature are pretty common here. Do you do you have uh, folks within your family that are better at particular types of eggs? Like I'm an omelet guy. I can do an outstanding omelet, mm-hmm. but in, uh, anything else, you know, you go scramble, you go over easy, whatever. Somebody else in my family is going to be way better at that stuff. Do you have a specialty egg? Yeah. Oh, some scrambled for sure for me. Like, yeah, yeah my, nice. my my wife claims that my scrambled eggs are the best. I don't. I'm not sure that I have any particular technique, but Je- Jeffrey's a carrying technique or something like that. That's uh, right, right. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Okay, what about? Do you have a something or maybe a particular technology in your role at Solovis that you just cannot live without? Oh goodness! Damn. These days, it seems like my webcam. Um, but uh, I, you know, I, I have a, I have a, a nice, big, wide monitor. Uh, yeah. That, and I think the combination of the headset to me is, is um, from a, just sort of getting work done technology yeah. or work done like productivity type of technology has been, has been really helpful. Okay. Okay. See now, this next question, I don't, I, I, I don't, I think I'm fifty fifty on where you're going to be on this Mac or Windows. Hmm. So I'm most definitely a Mac guy. Okay. Um, and uh, but but we are we are pretty much a Windows shop at Slowis. That's and that's why I was kind of torn because you talked about yeah. the C sharp and C plus plus and everything in terms of the overall development. So. Yeah, you, yeah. You, I mean, it's 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 interesting because it's it's opening up a little bit now that we with the Nasdaq acquisition because they do support Macs and but yeah. you know some of our and and we're trying to make sure that all of our code runs on .NET Core so you could write you know write it anywhere, yeah. write and run it anywhere. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I've, I've been on Mac since 2006, maybe, and I have a hard time with Windows. Yeah, still. you adopted before I did, and I, I would not go back, and I even started later than you did on Macs. Well, Carter, man, really had a great time, a great conversation. I think some fantastic insights for the HashMap on Tap audience. Uh, I know that they enjoyed the conversation. We're going to look forward to talking to you again soon, and I really, really appreciate you being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you to everyone, too, that listened in. We really appreciate every one of you. Please subscribe to the podcast. Feel free to send us any feedback, any comments. We will see you soon and take care, everybody. Thanks. Thanks for listening to HashMap on Tap. Be sure to subscribe for weekly new episodes and visit HashMap's Medium blog for new data and cloud technology perspectives. If you have any comments or suggestions for the podcast, please visit the HashMap ONTAP page on HashMap's website. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in.